This should be played at high volume. Welcome to Out of Pocket. Here's your host, Michael Davis. Welcome to Out of Pocket with Michael Davis. I am your host, and joined alongside with me today, we have Jackson Cordray, we have Austin Summers, and we have Matt Woody. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA. We're going to be talking about fantasy football. Of course, we're going to be talking about professional wrestling. And, of course, this is out of pocket, and I believe that none of my takes are truly out of pocket. But a lot of people don't feel the same way. And how better can we start this show by talking about LeBron James sign a two-year $97 million extension with the Lakers, making him having the highest-earning player in guaranteed money in NBA history. Okay, Now, everybody is talking about LeBron James as the GOAT. We're not going to get into too much ESPN here. But to, to my personal opinion, this is not an out-of-pocket take. Okay, LeBron can't be the best basketball player in the world if he's not even the best basketball player born in Akron, Ohio. Mm. Okay, the number one player, when I believe it's all said and done, will be Steph Curry. That's right. Not only has Steph Curry been born in Akron, Ohio, and taken over LeBron's hometown, Mm. but Curry just obtained his fourth ring, tying LeBron this past year, and the way I'm seeing it now is LeBron is on the trajectory down, right as Curry is on the trajectory up. And Jackson, I know you're not going to agree with this take at all, but think about it. You know, in terms of impact and legacy, Curry might be better for the NBA long term when we're looking back in 20, 25 years. I don't disagree with that. I'll say that, right? If we're talking about greatness and we're talking about historic like numbers it's lebron without a doubt but if we're talking about you know impact on the game and overall potential legacy and how basketball has changed i'll give curry that one you know you go and watch high school basketball players now you go watch college players it's three pointers and layups curry has changed the way the game works mm-hmm. to where you know lebron couldn't do that you know lebron's a 68 demigod of a human who's just going to throw you but if we're talking about greatness, if we're talking about who is the better overall player and who has done more in his career, I don't think it's a debate at all. I think it's LeBron by all means. We're talking about a player who, had, who will retire with 40,000 points, number one all time, 40,000 points. We're talking about a player with 10,000 plus assists that will retire as fifth probably all time in assists. And we're talking about a player – with 10,000 rebounds, who will retire top 30. We're talking to a player who's – nobody has ever done that, and nobody will ever do that again. It, it's, it's not even close who is greater. It's not even <clears throat> close. 18-time All-NBA player, LeBron, 18. He's been in the league 19 years, 20 years. I mean, this is, this is even close to a debate. This is even close to an argument because it's LeBron by all means. <clears throat> Now, when it comes to this argument, my main argument is legacy and impact. Now, if we want to throw out stats, obviously Kareem right now is at the top of the list of scoring. LeBron mm-hmm. will pass him either this yes. year or next year, yes. which is fair. Yes. Okay. But we haven't recognized Kareem Abdul Jabbar as the GOAT. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's always been Michael Jordan, and he's down on that list in terms of scoring. Mm-hmm. But with Curry's impact and legacy, when you match it up against LeBron's, okay, LeBron's legacy is when the going gets tough, he leaves. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't blame him for – I don't blame him for leaving Cleveland after seven years of mediocrity and your second best player was Zydrunas Iguaskas. I don't fault him for that. But when you have four consecutive finals appearances in four years with Miami – and see that Wade's getting older, Bosch is getting older, Ray Allen's about to retire, and then you jump ship to Cleveland with the fresh Kyrie Irving, and you get Kevin Love to join your team. And then once that starts to disintegrate, 
you move on to the Lakers where now you're getting Anthony Davis and you're trying to stack this team with Russell Westbrook. And if we're just talking stats, Russell Westbrook is my argument as to why we shouldn't pay attention to stats. But Curry's legacy is like he's stuck around Golden State and he's built that team. Okay, that team's been built I, around I agree, Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. Draymond Green. Thank you, Austin. I don't get that often. Okay, mm-hmm. LeBron doesn't stay in his lane regarding the general manager and front office decisions. While Curry, Curry will recruit. Okay, he recruited KD, but he understands his role on the team. He is a superstar player that fans will pay good money to see, but he's not the GM of the team. And Jackson, you mentioned like LeBron's pure natural talent has propelled him to the heights he's seen. Okay. But it's really unrelatable when it comes to the common NBA fan, Jackson, you and I would love to play pickup basketball all the time on Monday nights. And to be quite honest, Curry's frame and build like bridges the gap to the next generation Mm -hmm. because of his size, because of his Mm -hmm. work ethic, he's gotten to the point he is. So when it comes to that impact and legacy, LeBron can have his two-year $97 million extension, and it's not going to matter because Curry might even end up with more rings than LeBron at the end of the day. He will. Yeah, I mean, he might. Yeah. I mean, Austin, I don't think that can be argued. Yeah, I, I want to chime in. The thing with LeBron that I see that Curry has that LeBron just doesn't is LeBron's not a winner. It, it's been proven over and over again. He He can't – yes, he's got his four finals rings. He does. But he also has six losses in those. We can't look past that, in my opinion. And what is Curry now? Four and two? Um, I think that's something you got to look at. And I think Curry will get him another one uh, coming soon. I, I mean, I, 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 LeBron, not a winner. Okay, let's – I mean, if you want to run this down, I'll run it down real quick. Uh, 2015. Okay, well, let's go back. 07, he played against – he had no one on his team playing against – who was it again? The Spurs? I mean, he took nobody at 23 years old to the finals, right? Mm-hmm. Then the Maverick year, I can't, you can't argue that. That is the one thing where Wade is wanting to be the number one. LeBron's wanting to be the number one. They didn't have the chemistry at the time. Won two years back to back, lost mm-hmm. against the Spurs, went and played in 2015 against the, uh, against the Warriors, and he had no K-Love, no Kyrie, right? Then had the greatest comeback against arguably at that time the greatest regular season team mm-hmm. ever, the 73 and 9 Warriors before mm-hmm. the Kevin Durant. That was the greatest regular season team of all time. Absolutely. And he came back on the the greatest comeback of all time. And, and if it's not game. if it's not for Draymond's game 5 suspension, that's not happening either. Yeah, yeah and if it's not facts. for Kevin and it's not for uh Kelly Olynyk dislocating uh, K-Love's, uh, you know, shoulder in 2015, they probably won that year too because LeBron won by himself two games. So, yeah. I mean, you can argue all of these things back and forth. When it comes down to LeBron being a winner, he has the greatest comeback of all time. He has four rings. I get it, he has six losses, but two of them were against the Kevin Durant years, which is the greatest basketball team ever assembled. I think there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Then um, the Mavs what, and the Spurs. And the Spurs again in 2007. So I, I, LeBron not a winner. I just don't. I don't see that the same. I mean, there's that that team should have won all four of those rings. Uh, first off, the, the Mavericks year was inexcusable. We had Dirk uh, by himself. Yeah, we had Jason Kidd and uh, Tyson Chandler. We had some older guys, but absolutely not. They should have won that year, and they should have won against the Spurs, uh, an old Spurs team in 2014 when they didn't. And he got. Uh, he got cramped to be known too. I mean, inexcusable in my opinion. <clears throat> Our producer Desmond yeah, Johnson. Yeah, jump in here for just a second. I was sitting over in the back editing something, and I was hearing this conversation. And I was like, okay, I got, I got to jump in for just a second. Um, for starters, LeBron did lose to Golden State twice, but only one of those years was the Kevin Durant year. He lost to him in twenty sixteen. Uh, and then, or no, they won in 2016. They won lost 20, in 2015, yeah. and then Golden State went and got Durant. They won 2017, and then they didn't see each other because Toronto got there that fourth year. No, 2018. 2018, they went back. They went back because yeah, they right. had Kyrie, and so they lost twice to Kevin Durant. Yes. Now, the whole thing you were saying before, uh, Jackson, about how he took mm-hmm. that 
Cavaliers team to the finals in 07. I totally agree. They had no business being there. But you have to also look at what the, the NBA Eastern Conference was back then, too. It was a dumpster fire. Like, literally, they were still in the void of post-Jordan for, like, a decade after he retired where you had a Detroit Pistons team that basically there were no legit Hall of Fame, like, top 10 players in the league at the time on the squad going to the finals, like, every other year. Like, until – well, actually, they played the Spurs the year before. So, I mean – I don't know about all that. I know I know Curry has defeated LeBron head up twice now in the finals. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to like who's the better player, as it stands right now, yeah, LeBron's got all the stats and all the accolades. He's the king, blah, 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 blah. He's one of my favorite players. But in the end, when they're both retired, I think Steph is actually going to place higher than him on the list of top 10 players of all time because I don't think Steph is done winning. And I don't know if Amen. LeBron's winning any more championships at age 38 onward. I know he's a freak of nature right now, but Steph, I think Steph has another seven or eight years left in him. And at Golden State, they're willing to spend the money. So I think it just sets up for Steph in the end to have a better showing than LeBron. I have LeBron at five all time right now. I, yeah. I'm, and, and I can't make an argument to push him past that at the moment. I have Jordan at one, uh, Kareem two, Magic three, Kobe four, LeBron five. And I can't figure out a way to push LeBron higher unless he wins a fifth ring because every person in that top four has at least five championship rings. So where would Curry be right now since Curry and LeBron each have four? I have him at eight. I have Curry at eight. And he just got in this year when he won the NBA Finals MVP because that was the one thing he didn't have. Okay, at eight, who is he jumping? Who is he jumping? Because we're talking about Bird. We're talking about – Hakeem, well, we're talking about. I mean, who who is he jumping? He can, jump, he can jump Bird. Uh, I have mm-hmm. Bird. I think Bird was seventh. Uh, Tim Duncan was like right in there someplace. Um, Five rings. Who, who? Duncan. Duncan. Yeah, Duncan's in there. Uh, Wilt. I think Wilt's number ten because he, uh, with all that, he's like the greatest individual offensive player of all time. Bill Russell is in there. Uh, all, every person in my top ten has at least three rings. Three championships, uh, except for Wilt. But Wilt has stuff that none of those other nine players have. You know, Wilt has a hundred point game. Yeah, Wilt averaged exactly. fifty points a game for a season. You know, <laughs> like that's just like other world stuff. So I can't drop him out the top ten. Steph could jump over Larry Bird. He could jump over Duncan. He could jump over Bill Russell. He could jump over. He could get up to top five, and that's where I have LeBron at five. I think Steph could get to five with another title. To be honest, he's already sitting on four. He's the only he's the only unanimous MVP in league history. That includes I mean, <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. and to put this in perspective, I I love to bring uh, up Tom I think, Brady because I, I think it's I think it's significant that Tom Brady has won this like half the amount of Super Bowls as he has playoff appearances or seasons. It's insane stat. Curry has the same. He has four championships in eight playoffs. And he was playing on some really bad Golden State teams previously. Grant, you have LeBron who carried a lot of those early Cavaliers teams to the playoffs. But, again, at the end of the day, I knew it wasn't an out-of-pocket take. At the end of the day, Curry's got enough juice to surpass LeBron, which – is insane, especially since Curry was never supposed to be there. But when we come back, we're going to talk about fancy football with the Sniz Fancy Football Group next on Out of Pocket. Hey y'all, Tiny's Bovelados. Is your car broke down? Are you stuck somewhere? Do you need a mechanic? Oh, you don't want to call a tow truck? Call Tiny's Bovelado. He'll come out to you, do your work, whatever you need done, your regular maintenance, or if you broke down on the side of the road, give him a call. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call 336-423-6241. You don't even have to see me. Just let me know what's wrong with your car and I will come and fix it, y'all. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, I'm on the Twitters, whatever you got. Need 
303-423-6241. As always, I'll be seeing you. Hey, Pops, where you want to go eat tonight? I'm going to go get me some good southern cooking at Ball Brothers down by the airport in Winston. No, Pops, it's Bell Brothers, and they closed years ago. It's Taste of the Triad now. Taste of the Triad? Is it in the old Ball Brothers building? Yup. Can I still get baked chicken and collard greens? Sure can. How about neck bones, meatloaf, and pork chops? Taste of the Triad has all that. So they ain't got pinto beans, tater salad, mac and cheese, or fried okra? Pops, they have all that, plus homemade cakes and cobblers and sweet potato pie. Well, then I don't care what they call it. Let's go eat. Taste of the Triad. Open daily for lunch with $5.99 specials from 11 to 2 and chef specials daily. Don't miss the Saturday brunch from 9 to 1 and the soulful Sunday dinner when you come out of church full of the word but hungry for Southern comfort food. Taste of the Triad in the old Bell Brothers building at Old Walkertown Road and North Liberty in Winston-Salem. That's good Southern cooking. It's the high school football game of the week. Listen, man. Tonight is the night. Then make the name for yourself. Not one, but two of the best games in the triad every Friday. It all comes down to today. Catch the action on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM. Who got my man? Or tune in to our second game on WCOG 1320 AM. Both games powered by TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. Welcome to J. Pepper's Southern Grill, locally owned and operated, serving the Kernsville community for over 10 years. Delicious homemade Southern food with a menu with a little something for everyone. With daily lunch and dinner specials, you can't go wrong choosing J. Pepper's. Home of the Nest with East Forsyth head coach Todd Willard every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. live during the season. Plus, Wine Wednesday with half-price wine all day and live music every Thursday night. Come join the fun at J. Pepper's Southern Grill, 841 Old Winston Road in Kernersville. Call in your order now at 336-497-4727. Walkertown Auto Sales. Look no further when shopping for your next vehicle. Located in the heart of the triad at 3076 Walkertown View Drive in Walkertown, Walkertown Auto Sales specializes in affordable and reliable used cars, trucks, and SUVs. They offer financing with good credit, bad credit, or no credit, with interest rates as low as 3.9%. With knowledgeable employees that are always willing to go the extra mile, you'll drive away with the car of your dreams at Walkertown Auto Sales. Check out the entire online inventory now at walkertownautosales.com. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for triad sports. Welcome back. Welcome back to Out of Pocket. I'm your host, Michael Davis. And before I introduce my guests for this second segment, we have a fascinating fancy football page out on Instagram. And of all the fancy football pages that you could follow, this is perhaps the most transparent fancy football page you can get your insight from. These guys are hardworking. They put a lot of time, energy, effort, hours into what they do, researching and making graphics, making social media content. But most importantly, they are very quick to respond to private messages, asking questions about lineups. And these guys are the real deal. So it is my pleasure that on the first episode of Out of Pocket with Michael Davis, that I get to introduce people from SNIZ Fantasy Football. That's S-N-I-Z, sports news in a zip. We have Matt Woody and we have Austin Summers. Guys, how are you guys doing? If we could potentially hear Matt. Maybe connection went down. But as we figure out those technical difficulties, with fantasy football, there's always the question about how you should draft, 
Matt, do we have you back? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you having us on, Michael, me and Matt. Uh, <clears throat> you know, this fantasy football page, we've been running it for uh, – Matt especially has been running it for probably – over two years now, I think it was right near when the pandemic started that he started running it. And uh, he's kind of wrote me in. Uh, I've worked with him quite a bit. We do uh, we run followers leagues with it. We do a lot of mock drafts and, like you said, constant content uh, and Instagram posts to, to show uh, what you need to know for fantasy football to win your league. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys and all the stuff you put in. Now, the question always comes up with drafting strategy. What position do you target first? Austin, are uh, you a wide receiver, running back, quarterback? Uh, it, it definitely depends on where you get in your draft, but easily running backs. Uh, we do full PPR leagues, and running backs are the top priority. Uh, they go quick. There's not a lot of great running backs, and you need to target them uh, very early on. Hey, guys. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yes, okay. Matt. Welcome. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you having us on today. Yeah. We were just talking about which position you should target first in your fantasy football draft. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as Austin probably stated, you know, uh, 12 team PPR leagues is becoming the uh, norm in fantasy football now. And usually those leagues can consist of uh, one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, one flex position, which means you could play running back, wide receiver, or tight end kicker defense, and then your bench players. Uh, league settings can vary uh, league to league, but that's the traditional settings that most people play by default on ESPN, NFL Fantasy, uh, Yahoo, um, all different sorts of fantasy apps. But, um, yes, running back is a high priority in those in those leagues. Um, elite tier upside wide receivers like Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase even, Devontae Adams a couple years ago were guys that, consistently go in the first round and then you can even have guys like Travis Kelsey that go in the first round um, elite tight ends uh, there's not very many elite tight ends in fantasy football but while uh, Travis Kelsey is a outlier there as he gives you wide receiver one fantasy points in terms of his total points scored compared to most other tight ends which he'll need to this year especially with Tyreek Hill moving on to the Miami mm -hmm. Dolphins absolutely now, speaking of you know people who have moved around a little bit, the summer has been covered in this Deshaun Watson controversy. And the news came down yesterday that Deshaun Watson would be suspended 11 games for the season. Now, this, this brings up a big question with the Browns. Do you draft the Browns' backup quarterback, which is Jacoby Brissett? Uh, typically, you're going to want to have quarterbacks that have high rushing upside in fantasy football. So your guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Jalen Hurts, um, Kyler Murray, different quarterbacks like that that give you the high rushing upside and volume. Uh, passing as well are quarterbacks that you want to target in your leagues. Jacoby Brissett, being an average player overall, I mean, he can get the job done in terms of real NFL football and win you a couple games, but he's not the type of guy with fantasy upside that we're looking to draft and draft. So he's a guy that we'd like to stay away from most of the time, even though he's going in undrafted in most fantasy drafts to be exact with you. Are you keeping any of these Browns on your team? I mean, we have Kareem Hunt, we have Nick Chubb, but with Deshaun Watson not being there and Jacoby Percet, I'm pretty sure people are going to lock in on that run game. You have Amari Cooper, which if Amari Cooper's healthy, you and I both know as avid Dallas Cowboy fans that he is valuable to any team when healthy. Right. So with the Browns players, there's only four players that I would actually target in fantasy football leagues this year, even with Deshaun Watson being suspended all year, if that's, that was the case. But we now know he's only 11 games. So we're going to go into what it'll be in the first 11 games and then onward. So the first 11 games, you're going to have Nick Chubb, obviously. He's going late first round, early second round most of the times in your PPR leagues, which wow. which I'm yeah. not fully on board with because Nick Chubb in PPR leagues, point per, point per reception is what that PPR means. Um, I'm kind of out on that with uh, 
Kareem Hunt being the backup there and him taking most of the reception volume away. Uh, Chubb has never eclipsed 40 receptions in his whole career, so that's a tough pick for me. He, you're going to have to rely on his uh, extreme efficiency. And with Jacoby Brissett in the starting lineup, you're going to see a lot more stacked boxes uh, versus Cleveland, even though they have a great offensive line. And Chubb will still get his carries, but it's not like Nick Chubb's getting Derrick Henry-type volume, which keeps Derrick Henry – uh, a viable pick in fantasy football leagues, even with his low reception upside as well. Uh, Kareem Hunt, on the other hand, Kareem Hunt does have that PPR upside, but he also does not get the goal line work that you're wanting out of a workhorse running back, even though he's not a workhorse running back. They split those reps. So he's not getting the goal line work, but he does get the reception volume that you'd like to see. So his numbers are kind of skewed in that way, but you do get, Kareem Hunt in the sixth, seventh round most of the time in your fantasy drafts, which is a decent flex play to have with the 11-game suspension coming on with Jacoby Brissett being under center. One of the main targets that I like from the Browns this year will be Amari Cooper, even with the suspension. Uh, Amari Cooper may have been a little inconsistent last year with C.D. Lamb on the team, high touchdown volume. He was getting a lot of touchdown dependency numbers. Um, but he also had Dalton Schultz on that team who Dalton was getting Schultz. a lot of red zone targets. And Michael Gallup pre-injury. Pre-injury. Correct. So with Amari Cooper, you tend to see a lot of backup quarterbacks hyper-target. He saved my fantasy one. league. <laughs> you like to see those backup quarterbacks hyper-target the wide receiver ones as in Amari Cooper. Um, different quarterbacks do that do it all the time. But with Amari Cooper, he's someone that you could realistically see getting eight-plus targets a game this year without Deshaun Watson. And then you add Deshaun Watson in the lineup past week 11, and we're going to talk about how that affects all of the Browns players here in a second. But the last player that I do want to draft in – the Cleveland Browns will be tight end David Njoku, who actually just signed an extension with the Browns this offseason and is the lone tight end in the back or in the offense with uh, Hunter Bryant there as well. But in the preseason game, when the starters, well, the starters that played, you didn't have Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Amari Cooper out there, but you did see David Njoku come out there when Deshaun Watson was there and run 100% of routes route participation when Deshaun Watson was on the field for that short drive. So that lets us know that Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff in Cleveland really trust this guy that they just gave a huge contract extension to, and they want to see David Njoku get volume this year. Now, Jacoby Brissett may not target him at, at the rate that we wanted to, but he's still going to be on the field, and he's still going to be a tight end option because of the position is so slim at the tight end position, he could be a guy that has top 12 upside realistically, because being a top 12 tight end in fantasy football doesn't even require you to score 10 plus points a game. Sometimes you can score nine, nine points and still be a top 12 tight end on the week. That's how slim the position could be. I was about to say seven or eight points. Obviously Kelsey's the outlier, but right. one thing you mentioned was like Deshaun Watson, obviously being out, only 11 weeks, do you think that it would be a good idea to get Deshaun Watson early on as either trade bait to someone who needs a quarterback late in the season or as just an insurance policy if your quarterback doesn't work out, if he gets hurt, then you have somebody step in week 12 and 13 when playoff time is coming to help your team out? So realistically with Deshaun Watson, you see him go in the 11th, 12th, 13th round of fantasy drafts pre-news. And then since we got the news yesterday, now we have a little more clarity on the situation, obviously. So with Deshaun Watson coming in weeks 12, 13, 14, and then your play fantasy playoffs start week 15 typically and go through week 17 because fantasy leagues usually don't go into week 18 because a lot of starters rest, obviously, and – Stats can be skewed that way. Um, Deshaun Watson is the guy that I personally probably still won't rank inside of my top 15 quarterbacks because of the time he's going to be missing. But when he is on the field, he is a top 10 fantasy quarterback easily. Could be considered top five because of the rushing upside he offers and 
this is the best situation that Deshaun's ever been in. I mean, you look at those Texans teams that he took. There, there's not many guys outside of DeAndre Hopkins that was with him that produced at all. That's what I was about to say. Other than the running back situation being a little better with Hunt and Chubb, which I still am blown away with Chubb being considered a first-round pick, especially with no quarterback and especially sharing the backfield. I wouldn't touch – personally, I wouldn't touch Chubb or Hunt in the first three rounds. Yeah. Uh, Nick Chubb is definitely a fade for me at his current ADP. There's plenty of running backs that are going after him. Um, that I would prefer. So if we're talking about what Deshaun Watson offers this offense going forward after week 11, uh, going into week 12 at Houston, I'm pretty sure it's versus or at Houston. They play the Texans when Deshaun Watson comes back. Um, he's going to offer more upside to the offense, obviously, because the offense is going to be better and more efficient with Watson in the lineup compared to Brissett. So with Chubb, you're going to see possibly more goal line, more, more, um, more rushing attempts, more volume in that way. But there's a counter argument to that as well. They paid Deshaun Watson two hundred and fifty million dollars guaranteed. Why are they going to fully guaranteed? Fully guaranteed. Why are they just going to run the ball like they have in past years with Baker Mayfield, for example, or Johnny Manziel, or all these other quarterbacks that have just gone gone away from the team? They're paying Deshaun Watson to be that guy. So I don't see how this is going to be a 50-50 split in terms of pass to rush volume on the team. I think they're going to throw the ball a little more, which could end up totally hurting Chubb at the end of the day. But like I said, the counter argument to that counter argument is that the offense is going to be more efficient and Chubb's going to get all the goal line carries. So his touchdown dependency could be a little high, but touchdown score points in fantasy football. So that's what we're looking for. And as for Kareem Hunt, he may not get those goal line carries, but he could get dump balls from Deshaun Watson. But with the, the counter argument to that is that rushing vo- volume quarterbacks in fantasy football don't dump it off as much as immobile quarterbacks, such as Big Ben last year, who fed Najee Harris in the receiving game, Philip Rivers, who fed Austin Eckler in the receiving game. And that's just how it goes with the mobile quarterbacks. Kareem is going to have the time of his life the first 11 weeks, in my opinion, because he's going to have Jacoby Brissett in that backfield, dumping it off to him. And he's going to get a lot of those receptions because Jacoby's not going to be slinging it like that. Right. Which could very well hurt Amari's. But to be fair, I would take Chubb or Hunt over Saquon Barkley any Mm -hmm. day. I know, I know Austin, as a Giants fan, isn't happy with that. <clears throat> what a trans- even Matt's not happy with that. What um, a transition, uh, I must say. But uh, Before we talk about not. that, let's talk about how Amari Cooper and David Njoku will be affected by Deshaun's return, though. So, like I said, with David Njoku, 100% route participation, he's going to be on the field a lot, and he's going to be the clear number two option in the receiving game. So that's going to very well benefit David Njoku, higher touchdown upside, higher reception upside higher volume potentially. The same goes for Amari Cooper, higher touchdown upside, higher volume, higher receptions. Everything is just in line for those guys to explode after week 11, after his suspension is over in week 12. Yeah. Austin, you were starting to get on to me for the Saquon comment. But to be fair, in my defense, Saquon hasn't been the same since his rookie year. No, and he's, he's, he's not been the same since his rookie year. And even his sophomore year, I mean, he did decently, but his yards per carry went down, I want to say, uh, a half a yard per carry and, and some other stuff. But uh, if you're looking at where he's getting drafted, where his ADP is, uh, his ADP currently is 21st. And so that is you know, late second round. And, I mean, that is just insane to me because when healthy and, and when he's doing what we know he's capable of doing, he, he can be a top five running back. And, look, Daniel Jones is going into his, what, fourth or fifth year now. I'm not a fan of Danny Dimes. I want to be, but I'm not. He, he can't throw the ball, and they need, they need someone to take the pressure off of him. And Saquon's that guy. And when he's healthy and with our improved O-line at the, at the New York Giants, I think this is a year that Saquon can bounce back and prove why he's worth the money that they gave him. Right. And I'll add on to that. With Saquon Barkley, for me, like you said, he's going in the end of the second round as the RB13. So he's going off in 12-team leagues as the first running back two in, in teams. So you're looking at a guy that you can pair with Christian McCaffrey 
or even Najee Harris, um, Dalvin Cook, guys like Austin Eckler, even like that. As your RB2, that is elite upside that you're looking at with Saquon Barkley. Now, Saquon came off of the ACL tear in 2020 that he tore it very early in 2020. And data shows that with running backs that tear the ACL, the following year, their stats drop tremendously. That's why I'm out on guys like J.K. Dobbins this year. I'm not a fan of J.K. Dobbins at his current draft price at RB22, I believe it is. But going back to Saquon, yeah, he tore his ACL. And last year it showed he didn't perform to the level that we were expecting to. And that's given with the data that these sports med analytics show us, uh, these doctors that work on these guys every day, that – they know that the stats go down. The only outlier that you ever had there was Adrian Peterson, who tore his ACL and then came back the following year and was just went bananas. Uh, you don't see that very often. And Adrian Peterson is definitely one of the greatest running backs I've ever seen in my lifetime. And he defied all odds and played until I think he was 36 years old. So, And I, I want to add to it, Saquon in five games that he played last year, uh, with a full snap share under, with Daniel Jones, he averaged 16.2 points per game, uh, making him the RB10, and that is with Devontae Booker uh, still there. And so he's gone now. He's in Denver. He took a fair share of uh, Saquon's touches. And I know Matt Breida's there now. Uh, this is an old, older Matt Breida. I don't think he's going to cut into Saquon's touches and catches as much as you'd like to think. Right. And like right. you said, the 16 points per game, that, that's amazing stats coming off of an ACL injury. So that just shows how athletic – the athletic profile of Saquon Barkley is just elite, and he's still one of the better players in the league. Um, you look at the offense this year, they've only added good wide receivers in drafts like Kadarius Tony, for example. They still have Kenny Galladay, who should have a kind of sort of a bounce-back year. Galladay could help put a lot of pressure off Saquon, and Saquon's been the home run guy. If he right. gets those home runs, he can obviously add up a lot of points, 13 points in just one play. But we'll, we'll, we'll see as the season comes into it. Guys, thank you so much. If you are not following SNES Fantasy Football on Instagram, you have to do it. These guys are very knowledgeable. Thank you all so much for being part of the opening episode of Out of Pocket. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about professional wrestling and one of professional wrestling's greatest superstars of all time, Ric Flair, and his return to the ring next on Out Pocket. Thank you, Michael. school football game of the week. Listen, man. Tonight is the night. Then make the game for yourself. Not one, but two of the best games in the triad every Friday. All comes down to today. Catch the action on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM. Who got my man? Or tune in to our second game on WCOG 1320 AM. Both games powered by TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. Walkertown Auto Sales. Look no further when shopping for your next vehicle. Located in the heart of the triad at 3076 Walkertown View Drive in Walkertown, Walkertown Auto Sales specializes in affordable and reliable used cars, trucks, and SUVs. They offer financing with good credit, bad credit, or no credit, with interest rates as low as 3.9%. With knowledgeable employees that are always willing to go the extra mile, you'll drive away with the car of your dreams at Walkertown Auto Sales. Check out the entire online inventory now at Walkertown Auto Sales. Sedgefield Lawn and Landscape Supplies, your one-stop shop for your lawn. Family-owned, serving customers residential or commercial. Check out our large selection of mulch, pine needles, sand, gravel, grass seed, fertilizer, herbicides. They even do propane fill-ups. And if you're looking for lawn care equipment, you won't find a better spot in the triad than Sedgefield Outdoor Equipment. Visit them today, 5111 Mackey Road in Jamestown, North Carolina. Give them a call at 336-292-6800 and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Break! 
Football is back at North Carolina A&T. New season, new conference. Say, Aggie Pro. Come cheer on the Aggies as they continue their winning tradition. Tickets on sale now. Listen to North Carolina A&T Aggie football all season long on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls. Take a lesson. You can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you and keep it in the fairway. Mossy's Eats, Ales, and Spirits in Clemens is a unique family-friendly sports restaurant with an awesome bar and fresh menu that keeps guests coming back for more. Try the pizzas, buffalo bites, and wings, sandwiches, burgers that make your mouth water, made in-house, plus 23 taps, and a variety of craft beers. Have a cocktail and relax at Mossy's. Plus, with 33 HD TVs and all the sports packages around, you can watch pretty much any game you can imagine at Mossy's, plus a year-round outdoor patio. Fun atmosphere atmosphere, great food. What more can you ask for? Mossy's Eats, Ale, and Spirits, 6235 Town Center Drive in Clemens. Visit our website at mossysclemens.com. Welcome to The Pit Stop, the only radio show produced in the triad dedicated to Bowman Gray coverage every single week. Join host Brett Wiseman for exclusive coverage and interviews with your favorite drivers at the Madhouse, plus recaps of the previous week's races, coverage of all divisions, modified sportsman, street stock, and stadium stock. Tune in every Monday night at 8 p.m. on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM or throughout the week during the season on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for triad sports. And you know this, man. Welcome back to Our Pocket with Michael Davis. Awesome. Welcome back to Our Pocket with Michael Davis. I'm your host. Special thanks before we move into this next segment. Special thanks to Jackson Cordray, Austin Summers, Matt Woody for doing some awesome stuff these first couple segments. Talking about Curry versus LeBron, talking about fantasy football, talking about the Brown situation. And a big special thank you to the opportunity given to me by producer Desmond Johnson and Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Desmond has a big game to call tomorrow night between East Forsyth and Northwest Guilford. Well, actually tonight, Friday night. So, yeah. Oh, right, so, yeah. right. That is tonight. <laughs> uh, some, some of the games got moved because of weather uh, mm-hmm. to Thursday. Um, our original game was supposed to be Reagan North Davidson, I believe, on yeah. uh, WTOB. Mm-hmm. Um, we flipped that because we were already at uh, East Forsyth and at Glen. So, we've yeah. got East Forsyth versus Northwest Guilford on WTOB. 980 AM, uh, 96.7 FM. And then we've got Glenn versus Terry Sanford coming up from up East uh, at the same time on WTOB. And that's the one that Brett Wiseman will be calling. Yeah. Well, JP, JP, yeah, JP Mundy will be on play by play. Brett Wiseman will be on color on that one. Myself and Rod Funderburk, we're part of the East for Side sports network. So we'll be calling the East game for, for uh, TOB later tonight. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a good time. You're going to have a long night, but yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then rundowns live Saturday morning at 10 a.m. So it just wow. Yeah, it, it's yeah. <laughs> the, the man who never stops, but is high school football. So we'll 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 take it, right? We'll take it. We will take man, it. It is good to be back in the fall, but it was even better to be in Nashville, Tennessee, a couple weeks ago. Now, Desmond, if you remember this, I was able to have the opportunity to guest host the score in place of Brett Wiseman, 
back in May. Yeah. And this is when, right when Ric Flair announced that he would have one last match. And we talked about that on the score that Friday afternoon. And I got off the radio show and my dad called me and he's like, do you know what you're doing last weekend in July? I was like, probably working because I work at a YMCA camp. He's like, nope, we're going to Nashville. I'm like, for. And he's oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Man. Oh, so boy. that was <laughs> insane. My first time ever in Nashville, Tennessee, by the way. Absolutely love it. But they had a couple fan conventions that weekend. Got to see a New Japan pro wrestling show with John Moxley as the headliner. FTR was there. Got to meet some really cool people. Got to meet Karrion Cross right before he returned to WWE. But most importantly, got to see Ric Flair compete for the first time in my life and perhaps the last time of his life. And wow, to we knew this wasn't going to be a five-star classic. Right. We, we knew this wasn't going to be Flair and Steamboat or Flair and Rhodes, but for Ric Flair to team with his son-in-law, Andrade, who married his daughter, Charlotte, who is a WWE superstar, to face Jeff Jarrett, who's a WWE Hall of Famer, Jay Lethal, who's getting his feet under him in AEW, with Mick Foley and The Undertaker sitting front row. They looked concerned. Uh, <laughs> they looked highly concerned by the time that match was over. So, yeah, it, just a spectacle all around. <laughs> it, it, it really was a spectacle. Like, I was sitting right in front of the commentary booth, which they had just set up exactly like Jim Crockett Promotions would for back in the 70s or 80s and to see rick flair come out in his robe unveil the big gold the world heavyweight championship oh man it was it was really cool and a lot of people were there too obviously the undertaker and mick foley sit in front row and from where i was sitting des if i looked to my left side i I saw like the little shaded corner area Mm -hmm. I, i looked and i turned to my brother i'm like is that Dominic Mysterio, and it and is that Ray Mysterio unmasked? This was Ray Mysterio unmasked. Oh my. Watching the Ric Flair's last match, it that everybody came out for this. It was it was literally like you had to be there. Well, they did have WWE did have uh, SummerSlam, SummerSlam in Nashville uh, yeah. the day before. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so it's kind of crazy. Jeff Jarrett had a busy weekend because he he special guest refereed the uh, the the Usos match. Was that what yeah. it was? I can't remember. Yeah, the Usos, the Usos Street, Street Profits. Profits. Yeah, he he was the guest referee for that and actually called it down the line. I didn't see any funny hijinks or anything in that. And then went and did this. Uh, and they actually did an angle. Like it wasn't just like a thrown together match. Like they started doing some. Uh, like outside in the parking lot, jumping Ric Flair, like like they really tried to tell a story, mm-hmm. like for it. So I was surprised about that. Um, I was concerned for Rick. Uh, I, I did read that he actually blacked out like twice during twice, the match. Yeah, uh, where he literally just blacked out. Woke like woke up, and when he first came in the ring, he was everyone was saying he didn't look like he knew what he was doing because he didn't. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing because he <laughs> just came back from playing blacked out. Uh and then the second time I think uh I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think he had just took a hit. He was laying on the mat or something and was yeah. like out cold or something. And uh the ref was like, no, no, you got to get up, you got to do this spot or something crazy. And he woke himself up out of it. Um and I did see where uh you were mentioned Undertaker and Mick Foley uh, I think Undertaker went to the back uh, with him, and Rick had said something along the lines that he had brought a six pack of beer with him that he was going to drink after the sh- after the show. And Undertaker was like, "No," and like shoved like a bottle of Gatorade or something at him. He was like, "Yeah, drink this first before you drink that," because they were just so concerned uh, about Ric Flair's health. I'm just happy he made it out of it alive. Yeah, getting to end on your own terms too is something really important. Ric Flair probably wanted the money, but he also wanted to go out on his own terms. And there was there was a particular moment where I'm like, okay, they are protecting Ric Flair. And thinking about who he was in the ring with, yeah. Andrade, his his son-in-law, I mean, that's special. 
Jay Lethal had grown up and admired Ric Flair his entire life. There's a classic TNA clip online of him uh, imitating Ric Flair and them going back and forth when they were in TNA. It's uh, viral. Yeah, and I never even watched TNA, and I know that segment very, very well. Uh, and he helped train them for this, so they they know each other really well. Um, and then, of course, Jeff Jarrett. I mean, who employed him with TNA? Yeah, and was actually one of the last Four Horsemen. Uh, now that they back on it, so I mean, they have a relationship that goes back to the mid '90s too. So, uh, if he had to be in the ring with three other guys, I guess those are the three that made the most sense to take care of him in the match. But even so, having said all of that, he did take some bumps, uh, nothing real crazy, just, you know, regular mat bumps and things of that sort. But, and they did make him bleed. It seems like that was part of the plan yes. was to give him the bleed. And that was where I was concerned. <laughs> he, he had to bleed. You knew going in, he was going. Oh to bleed. yeah. Now I don't know. If he, did, he, match. did he blade himself or how did they get him to bleed? Cause I don't, I didn't see the match. So, but you were there. Did you catch anything like that? In terms well, of- when I say I see the match, this is a really funny story. We had back floor seats. Okay. Nobody was behind us. And once Ric Flair came out, everybody was not only standing, but they were standing in their seats. Oh, man. And so me, the tiny short fella I am, I went and I know you can't see it through the radio, but I, I had to stand on my seat because I was like, we paid how much money and I want to see Ric Flair. Yeah. And I was I was the first person that the security guy tugged on my shirt and he's like, You gotta sit down. And I just pointed up to the rest and I was like, Gotta make all of them sit down. And he looked over, he was like, Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so to see, I'm I'm pretty sure he had to blade. Um, but what what I did see was speaking of them protecting Ric Flair throughout the match, Ric Flair was determined to take a suplex off the top rope. Yeah. And he had to actually be physically like pulled down to the mat to just take a suplex on, on the mat. It it was because he was like, I mean, yeah, we're, we're not going like to do that. Where I'm just like, don't die, Rick. Don't die. <laughs> like, we don't need you doing a superplex off the top rope. You're 73. Like, you almost died like four <laughs> years ago or something like that. So yeah. uh, I'm just happy he made it through it. I really am. It, it was awesome. And to see like his legacy and – He's going to go down as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, one of the most influential for sure. And he got that run in WCW. He got that run with the NWA, got that run through the territory time in the Carolinas. But also someone very responsible for taking him mainstream, and he's always credited, is Vince McMahon, who is no longer chairman CEO of the WWE. That that baffles me that we're saying that with Vince McMahon still breathing <laughs> because he literally never slept, but he eat and breathed WWE. And oh, I mean, now even more stuff is kind of coming out. I'm not going to get into because it it's kind of political type stuff, but it, it's showing that, yeah, if he didn't step down when he did, he's going to probably eventually have to anyway. So um, I will say this. I have not watched raw. I, my thing, I can't watch raw or uh SmackDown. Well, I could watch SmackDown live. Uh, cause it's on Fox, but I'm, I, I've cut the cord like years ago. So mm-hmm. like, if I'm going to watch anything live, I have to kind of plan on how to do it. And with raw being on USA, uh, the sling account that I have doesn't include USA. I don't believe, so I can't watch mm-hmm. it live, but I never watched it live. Anyway, I prefer the hour and a half version of Hulu. Cause it cuts out the whole thing. It's three <laughs> hours of raw. It's like, this isn't raw versus nitro anymore. You don't need three hours, but they got to have it cause they need the revenue. So anyway i i usually wait for tuesday and i watch the replay of raw and i got to a stretch where i wasn't watching it at all i was just popping in for pay-per-views i have watched raw and smackdown i think the past two weeks and raw in particular has been excellent it's been very good um you can kind of tell that triple h has taken over the booking because things are starting to make sense like the way they've booked uh the secondary titles the u.s title the intercontinental title always felt like props when Vince had the booking. Like it just, they didn't really have any meaning to him, but whenever triple H could get his hands on booking a little bit, he would elevate those belts and it wouldn't be so much the person holding the belt. The belt itself would elevate the person. And I feel like that's happening now where if you watched raw and SmackDown the past two weeks, you saw they put heavy emphasis on like the history of the United States championship. Yes. Who's held the packages. Yeah. Like, you know, like dusty roads and like all these people over the years. So they, they make it. So it's important. So when you finally get to the match, then it, it makes the match a big deal because they don't have a world title on raw. 
on SmackDown, they've, I mean, Roman Reigns is there, but he's not there. He's there like once every three weeks. So the Intercontinental Championship is the bigger belt. And they did the same thing. All the people like Macho Man, Ricky Steamboat, and all these people from the past, Chris Jericho, that have held that belt. So when that Nakamura versus Gunther match happened, it felt like a big match. And that's what's been missing for months. And I'm just so happy that I have a reason to watch it again. And something you said just in that little snippet, I have a reason to watch again. You could watch a Raw one week and suffer through it. But then you'd watch Raw the next week and you're like, there's no story. There's no cohesiveness. Rowan matches together. Yeah. Like, or this actually it was the same match. Same match. Yeah, they kept playing the same match over and over and over that again. That would end the exact same way. Yeah. As if the people writing the show didn't watch last week's show yes. or even yes. write it. <laughs> Which makes me feel like they didn't. So it was like, what the hell's going on? But immediately, as soon as Triple H picked up that book uh, right at SummerSlam, because you could tell SummerSlam, that was Triple H. Like Triple mm-hmm. H had his fingers all over Super, uh, SummerSlam and it carried into Monday Night Raw. Like the stuff with like, uh, I don't know what they're doing with Dexter Loomis with him. Like, uh, like jumping uh, into the jumping in, coming in, the like the cops are having to apprehend him and all this stuff. But I love it. I don't know what exactly is happening, but it feel and it always happens when AJ Styles is in the ring. Yeah. Like they haven't had interaction, but it's always when he's wrestling is when something's happening with him in the crowd. I think they're going to build some kind of like group and have AJ as the leader. Like, because he Loomis was in the way in NXT with Johnny Gargano, who was supposed to be coming back and some others. So I kind of think that's what Triple H is doing. Because the one thing that I'd always known was that Vince McMahon hated uh, stables. He hated stables. He, ne- he didn't like stables. He never wanted to do stables. Triple H, of course, loves stables. Uh, and to me, that's how you build your stars. The attitude area got era got built because you had all these stables, DX, Nation of Domination, where the mid carters out of those stables, who were they? Triple H, The Rock, The Rock, you know, and and you built uh stars out of it. The Ministry of Darkness, you know, Edge, Christian, those guys, they became tag team champs and went on to become, I mean, Edge became a, a singles champ. You build your mid card from the stables. And from that, you get your future headliners. And I think Triple H understands that. And I think we're going to start seeing more of that. Yeah. And the biggest thing with WWE is they hadn't built stars. That's why you need to pay so much money for a Brock Lesnar to come in. Pay so much money for Goldberg to come in, which Goldberg was built in that attitude era. Yes, exactly. Um, And that's what Triple H was doing with NXT. I think that was the sad part about Triple H and uh, him have stepping down for a while was the destruction of NXT because NXT was growing into something else. Like it was growing into a legit promotion. Yeah. Like, and you, and you, the last survivor series that they did when NXT was still black and gold, where it was mm-hmm. NXT versus raw versus SmackDown. 2019. That was awesome. That was, that awesome. was great. That was fantastic. Cause you got stuff like Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar in the ring for a bit there during, uh, Roll Rumble, and everyone was like, "Ooh, you know, like stuff like that that you normally don't see." And now half that roster is in AEW, and I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Some of them didn't go anywhere, like like Organo, and I can see him coming back and maybe linking back up with Champa uh, and doing something like that on the main roster. There's a lot of different ways they can go with this. Yeah. So I'm just super excited. Yeah, they already brought Karrion Cross back, which I met Karrion Cross like five days before. He signed with WWE, which was really great timing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nashville. Um, but Johnny Gargano is one that he's been very, uh, I'm not saying what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. you'll see me soon. He's going to pop and, up on a Raw or SmackDown. Like every week they've had a, a surprise like appearance from somebody since Triple H took over. I think they're saving Gargano for something here in the next couple of weeks. I could see, I could see him. Champa and Miz as like a, a three man group, and then eventually Eternal Miz or something like that. Like I could see all that happening fairly easily and believably. Yeah. Which, if if that happens, then this gives us a reason to watch. Yeah, that's and all we wanted. That's, that's <laughs> literally all we wanted. If we had one thing, it was give us a reason to watch every week. Yep. Yep. Give us a reason not to watch that shortened Hulu version. Because yep. I'll be honest. Since Triple H took over, I am watching all three hours of Raw, and it all makes sense. See, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. They, I don't think they'll ever be able to cut it down to two again. Uh, and people forget why it's at three. It's at three because Nitro went to three hours first. And when Nitro went to three hours, 
it cut into the replay. Uh, well, it made the replay of it longer because people, if you don't remember back in the day, it used to be Nitro would run on TNT at like eight or whatever, mm-hmm. and it would be off by like 10. And then Raw would come on at nine or whatever and run until 11. And then Nitro decided once the NWO was huge, they decided to expand to three hours. So it went from eight to 11. And then Raw went to three and they went from eight to 11. But Raw would always leak over 11. They'd go to like 11.05, 11.10, like in that main event. So mm-hmm. they would keep you there for a bit because the replay of Nitro would happen at 11. So what you could do was literally watch Raw and then flip over and watch the replay of Nitro and then go to school on like, you know, four hours sleep or whatever because you're up till three in the morning watching <laughs> watching wrestling. <on> <laughs> a taped three-hour show. We would, I think we, for a while we would tape Raw We'd watch Nitro live, and then when Nitro was over, we'd go back and watch uh, watch Raw, and then we would rewatch the tape of Nitro. Like we'd go back and go through the matches we liked on Nitro. So that's what everybody did up until Mick Foley won that title over The Rock. Yeah, and that was we, they told us on Nitro that was happening. That actually made us turn the channel. So it kind of backfired. Them saying, "Oh, Mick Foley's going to win the title tonight," and we were like, "What?" And so we we literally left Nitro and flipped over and watched him win it. So. That was the beginning of going back and forth. I know we're up against the the time here, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can talk wrestling. So I know, much. right? <laughs> you know, I have a wrestling podcast. Drop the mic on Spotify. Um, but this has been awesome. This has been a great debut episode of Out of Pocket. Thank you so much for Desmond Johnson. Thank you so much for my guests, Austin Summers, Matt Woody, Jackson Cordray. Y'all did awesome. Great support system. And thank you, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Tune in to the high school football games tonight. And it's going to be a great time. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.